Welcome to the A Better Way to Farm podcast, where we share serious secrets about profitable farming. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, and we hope that you'll love the knowledge we share not only with you today, but also in future episodes. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, Rod here at A Better Way to Farm, and it is a beautiful morning in Iowa. Nice breeze, low humidity and uh, good temperatures. We're excited to be outside today here. Today we're going to talk about potassium and specifically even though you may be deficient and it's later in the growing season but what can you still do? But let's start Kurt with a conversation of so you have really high K levels in your soil and you tissue test and you don't see really high K levels. Talk to us. Yeah so I did a video on this actually a couple of years ago uh, with Jason Schleip at Next Level Ag Labs and we talked about uh, some of the disconnects that's out there. If you, if you really pay attention to the research, and actually Dennis Damon talks about this in Conklin's Pro Ag a lot, class, which everybody should attend if they haven't yet. Right. And even if they have, they should go back. <laughs> but, uh, there's great research out of Colorado State University um, by Dr. Robert O. Miller. And what Dr. Miller found was he got access to, I believe it was Midwest Labs database, and I think it was Purdue. So it was two you know, big time soil testing labs. And what he found was is that even in instances where you had massive amounts of K on the soil test, the accompanying tissue test of a farmer's field a lot of times showed a deficiency. In fact, what he found was he said the number one most commonly deficient nutrient in tissue testing was nitrogen, which makes sense because it's mobile. But the second most commonly deficient nutrient was potassium, only second only to nitrogen. So if we've got these high, super high K levels, how does that make sense that it's not getting into the tissue? And what Jason and I talked about was I think that there's maybe a little bit of a problem with some of the methodology in, in, in uh, soil sampling because typically what happens is we use a really strong um, extractant agent, like a strong acid, to, to break the bond between the soil particles and, and the potassium. And what that can lead to is an elevated uh, test level. So it appears you have more potassium than what you do. And if we assume that that's true for just a second, then that would make sense because what your plant is putting out there are things you know like citrics and, and um, oxalic acids. They're basically, they're really weak acids, and the water is essentially what's breaking the bond between the potassium and soil. So if we, if we don't have as much in the soil as we think we do, then it makes sense that you're not getting as much into the plant as you think you're getting into the plant, <laughs> which leads us then to, so what can we do about it? Right. The go-to, unfortunately, historically, and wrongly, in my opinion, has been, let's throw something cheap like potassium chloride out there. Uh, guys, I want, I want to challenge you with something here, because everybody, this pound is a pound the world around thing is a really dangerous mindset. And think about this logically for just a second, because anytime a guy comes to me and says, well, what if we don't get enough pounds out there, we're gonna mine the soil, right? Okay, but you have to apply that exact same logic then to what about the mines where that potassium's coming from? If we're not replenishing the potassium that's in the mines, aren't we eventually gonna run out of the mines? And you can say, oh, that's way down the road. Sure, but the point is, guys, at some point, somebody's going to pay the piper. So we need to figure out how we can be a lot more efficient, use a higher quality product, and get it to where the plant can actually take it up. Just like with nitrogen, you can do more with less. If you get the timing right, you put it in the right place, etc. cetera. Uh, the other thing is, I want to throw this out there. I know I'm on a little bit of a bunny trail, but the next time you guys go to buy your, your KCL, ask the dealer, just as a, as a bit of a trivia question, ask them if they know what the chloride content is on that, because we all know it's 0060, right? Well, did you know that the chloride portion of that, so it's a 0060 question mark is really what it is, and the chloride portion of that is actually somewhere between 45 and 50, usually around 47. So you're getting almost as many pounds of actual chloride as you're getting of potassium. And I think that if most people knew that, they would reconsider and start looking at sources like potassium sulfate, even potassium nitrate, potassium thiosulfate, which is ultimately where we're going here. Kurt, can I yeah, go for it. So 
because you brought this up, <laughs> then you get the guy who is a salesman and all he has to sell is potassium chloride. And he says, well, chloride is a plant essential nutrient. <laughs> and then, of course, what he does is he points to the one, that's this many, one study that was done in small grains by K-State that showed an increase in yield in wheat when they applied chloride. Well, no, they one. applied potassium chloride. That's the thing. <laughs> they didn't just apply chloride, right? So then what got them the yield boost? Was it the chloride or was it the potassium chloride? Because I'm going to take that a step further. I've got a whole presentation on this. And that is, there have actually been no studies that have isolated and only looked at chloride, where they haven't put something with it. And the only time that they've been able to induce a chloride deficiency in plants is if they do it in a lab. So they are able to like hydroponically feed the plants right. and artificially remove it. See, the problem is, guys, and this is well-documented research. And in fact, if you want to talk about this, you can reach out to me. You can get me um, on my Facebook page, which is just Dynamite Ag. You can find us on Facebook, or you can give me a call or a text. 641-919-5574 is my number. Um, but, but the problem is, is that that was you know, artificially put together. And when you look at the, you know, the latitude as we look across the globe, there's actually an area of deposition, uh, of chloride deposition that we get naturally from rain. And what the research very clearly, sh clearly shows is that every single plant that we grow as a row crop can receive adequate chloride fertility from the rain itself. So anything <laughs> we're adding over and above rainwater, guys, is not, oh, my plant needs chloride. You're actually giving it excess. And the other thing you got to remember, and this comes from Dr. Jill Clapperton, who is one of the foremost soil health experts in the world. She said, look, the problem is a chloride deficiency and a chloride toxicity look almost identical. And so we may say, oh, that's a chloride deficiency, when in reality, we have given it too much already. So the whole chloride thing is, well, I'll give you a sneak preview. At the 2021, so not this coming year, but the one after that, I believe Dr. Clapperton and I are actually going to be presenting together uh, at the Pacific Northwest Direct Seed Association on uh, bioaccumulation of chloride. As it moves up the food chain, you, you know, you're putting it on alfalfa, you're giving it to your dairy cows, it's coming through in the milk. She and I are working on analysis on that. So potassium chloride deal is an unfunny joke. I hate it almost as much as I hate anhydrous. And I understand people <laughs> stop looking at what is, you know, what's right in front of your face. It's that right in front of our face mentality, dad, that gets us in trouble. And I think that when we start paying attention to things like soil health and start taking better care and doing better stewardship, things start to change. So let's talk about how we can use less and do more with it. Is that all right? Absolutely. And so I kind of had to <laughs> on the trail, but go back. Let's talk about the potassium thing. And as I see it, one of the deals that hurts us is that you talk about they use a strong acid to isolate it or extract it. And all extraction, all chemical reactions tend to be elevated or accelerated in the presence of heat. Mm -hmm. So in the soil, when we're using a weak acid from the plant, and we're using water as our primary extractant, and we have cool soil temperatures. For instance, this year in June, we were still having highs in the 50s here. Brutal. And so consequently, we couldn't get any K into the plant. So even if you have high K levels on the soil test, they don't really become available according to the people that I listen to, the, the PhDs in soil science, say about 65 degree or 70. So or 70 some, degree some, say, yeah, some evidence says it's higher than phosphorus. So the fact is then, <laughs> we're gonna meet that early K need in a corn plant or a soybean plant. We're gonna to have to roll apply. <laughs> Basically to me, it looks like roll apply a high, high quality K starter. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> you know, a lot of the research is out there and I tell guys when they're using, whether it's a 10340 or a 924.3, anything that's a high P and low K starter, they like it because that's what it does is it starts the plant. It gets it screaming out of the ground. Guys, there's no secret. Nitrogen and phosphorus are going to get it coming up, get it green, make it look good. 
But you get virtually no yield benefit from that. The, the university data is clear on that time and time again. And I believe that's because the K is what gives you the staying power, right? So you may get a jump early on. In instant, I mean, it's rare, but you and I've seen a case where that can actually hurt yield if it causes you then to go into tassel or pollination at the wrong time, you know, when you hit a big heat wave. So you really need that complete package with that potassium in there to really give that some longevity and really benefit the plant over its life cycle. Absolutely. And so we start out meeting at K-Need. Our, our thought process is that we're going to go counter to the industry because, as I've said many times, everything that happens in agriculture is good for somebody, yep. you know. Anhydrous is good because somebody's got a gazillion dollars worth of infrastructure and tanks and equipment and people to apply it. Uh, potassium chloride, there's a whole industry built around that, so that's really good for that industry. But the fact of the matter is, I'd rather see a guy, if he's going to broadcast something, use half as much potassium sulfate, spend the same number of dollars and get a better yield. Or really just do it right and go to strip till, guys. Because, I mean, here's the thing. Spend, you know... From an efficiency standpoint, and again, Scott Wettstein taught me this. you got to stop thinking that you farm an acre when you farm an acre. <laughs> From the soil surface up, you farm an acre when you think you farm an acre because it's about light interception. It's about photosynthesis. So it's about how do we get row closure? How do we make sure we're maximizing light capture? But from the soil down, you really only farm about a third of an acre for every <laughs> acre that you think you farm because, it's, you know, where's that root zone? Right. So if we do something like strip till, we can spend, you know, the exact same dollar. We can spend, yeah, because... Potassium sulfate is roughly about two and a half to three times as much. So you spend the exact same dollars and you're using a much uh, environmental, and I say environmentally safe, I mean for the microbes, etc. Right. You're using a better product. You're putting it there where the plant can actually get to it. Guys, for the record, I don't sell potassium sulfate. So, I mean, I, I, if you're going to go dry, go potassium sulfate. I think everybody should be using chicken litter. unless I mean, there's some exceptions here where your K and mag levels get out of whack for sure. Uh, as, as far as the starter goes, yeah, you, you absolutely need to be using a high K. I, I would not use less than like a 318.18 or a 215.19.3, which I particularly like because there, and in full disclosure, yes, I, we do sell that, okay? Um, but my, my point here is use a higher quality source and put it where the plant can get it, and then you can still be dollars ahead. You know, it's funny, Kirk, because you've basically been a part of this deal your whole life. We started 27 years ago, and you'll be 37 coming soon here. So since you were 10... You've seen me talk about using a 318.18 or a 215.19.3 when there was a whole industry who was geared towards a 1034 uh 624.6, 924.3, 924.3, just that, that small number because yep. K didn't matter. And we knew from the beginning, you knew, I mean, you've watched this for 27 growing seasons. We have pushed this. And to me, the difference between the people who are high achievers and the people who are ho-hum achievers is how are they managing that K how does that plant stand? How is that plant health? How does that work towards being the total package? And so, yeah, guys, we believe strongly in that 215-19-3 or 318-18. Let's talk about like a 918-9 versus a 318-18. And guys, do the math on this because people get all bent out of shape because, oh, a 318-18, sure, that's what everybody wants to sell because it's a dollar a gallon more than a 918-9. So do the math. So a dollar a gallon at six gallons is six bucks an acre more expensive, right? For a 318-18 than a 918-9. Now, you're going to, let's assume corn is three bucks. Three bucks. You need two bushels to pay for that. You know, and, and again, when you do the math on it, a 918, nine, nine and nine is 18, and 18 is 36. 318, 18 is 18 and 18 plus three is 39. So you're getting almost 10% more nutrient load for that extra dollar a gallon. So you really gotta pay attention to the math, guys. Stop getting hung up on what's the cost per gallon. It's what's the cost per acre. What, really not even what's the cost yeah. per acre. In this case, it's what's the cost per bushel, right? On. right? So yeah. yeah. And I would agree with that. And so I can tell you this, we ran, 
I mean, you were with me, Karen, and when she was 12 years old, she was running all over the United States with, and we were putting out test plots. And we know that on the average, our own 318.18 beats our own 918.9 across the United States, hundreds of locations, about seven bushel of the acre. Yeah. So it takes two to pay for it. The other five, that's pocket money. Exactly. Pocket money. Yep. And so consequently, that's, that's the way to go with that. And so we know why we want to do that. So now let's jump forward. It's June, July, excuse me, not June. It's July something or the other. 11th. Yeah, yeah, yeah there 11th. you go. July 11th. And so we're here. We realize, uh-oh, we weren't paying attention. We didn't put down any row place K. We didn't strip till any K. Maybe we even tissue test, do some plant tissue test, and we're short in K. Now what? How, give me a couple ways, Kurt, that we could address that K deficiency. Yeah, so we did some, uh, well, I'm gonna give you the first way, which isn't really a way at all. You could go out there with a spinner and put down some potassium chloride. But that doesn't count. Right, that one doesn't count. Because I wouldn't that's do way that. zero. That's now, let's theoretically. Talk about one and two. <laughs> okay. That's not, not way zero. <laughs> okay. Um, so a couple of different options. Um, mm -hmm. Foliar feeding is mm -hmm. definitely something to look at. Uh, and the other thing, again, is back to the Y drop because you know potassium thiosulfate, KTS, will mix right in with your nitrogen. And in fact, I'm gonna, I guess I'll do these in reverse mm -hmm. order and we'll go from the, the Y drop to the full mm -hmm. feeding. Uh, in 2015, so this has been four years ago now, um, I had some guys do some independent research up in Northwest Iowa. They were not Conklin people, they weren't affiliated in any way, shape or form at the time. They do use the product now, but at the time they were totally independent. And what they did was they did replicated strips. And this is Northwest Iowa, where mind you, they have access to manure. They use a lot of manure. Sure. It's high fertility. This is the garden spot most years, right? right. But they went out there at about, <clears throat> I'd have to look, I think it was about V8 to V10. No, I'm sorry. It was about V14 because I told them they should have done it at V8 to V10. So they were, <laughs> they were later than I wanted. But they actually did a controlled trial where they ran just nitrogen, same gallons, same pounds, versus where they ran nitrogen plus sidekick, which is KTS. Um, and they did it. And guys, this is really important when you do your research, okay? So they actually did this at zero, one, two, and three gallons. And the reason that's important is because so often... I understand it's time to go, you know, we, we blow and go and it's time to farm and it's hard to get good research. But if you only do a with and without, it doesn't give you very nuanced information, right? And so what you really wanna see is a yield curve, really, and more so than that is a profitability curve. And I challenge guys, whether it's your seed salesman, your fertilizer sales rep, like whoever you're dealing with, you wanna see what's the rate that actually makes me money. Um, and so at zero, one, two, and three, they saw a yield response going up from zero to one, from one to two, and from two to three. But the thing is, is that the yield response at two to three from uh, going up to, to three bushels, or no, I'm sorry, three gallons, um, didn't actually pay for itself at that point, right? So right. We, we went over the point at which it pays for itself. So what they found was two, I think it was two gallons got them about, I'd have to go back and look, I want to say it was six or seven bushels, right. but it netted them money was right. the point. And I would talk to a guy who was a, a co-op guy at a 360 event later that, uh, that next year, and he had said they had run a trial where they did zero versus five gallons. And the five gallons got them right at uh, uh, about what our two gallons got. So the point is, is if you plot that on the other data that, that we'd already gathered, it does make a nice curve, right? There's some point at which you go over the threshold and it's diminishing returns. You may still get a yield response, but it may not be a profitable yield response. Right. So guys, whatever you're studying, when you do your research, do something like that, like a zero, one, two, three, four, five, and, and, and I understand you get, you're busy, do what you can. It's just the with and without doesn't give us really super nuanced data because maybe we're using too much where we'd make more money if we backed it down a little bit. Conversely, and now we'll talk about foliar feeding, um, I did some trials with the University of Arkansas two years ago looking at Conklin's Feast XL, which is a foliar nitrogen. And there we did uh, a zero, one, two, and three. And what we found was 
at three actually made more money than the one or two. And it left me going, well, shoot, I wish we would have done four, five, and six as well because we, we didn't did go fall. Yeah, we didn't yeah. fall, we didn't go over the edge of that cliff. Right. So, you know, it's it's important that you really try and do that kind of nuanced mm-hmm. research when you can. You know, as we look at that, Kurt, I, I think one of the things that happens is that, you know, in the industry there's a propensity to say, Well, I heard blah blah blah. You know, so and so said blah blah blah. Well, they tried that once. And that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things about that that really make me tense up. You know, they tried potassium sulfate. I'm going to back up and say, guys, we're talking about our stuff. All right. I got a good friend named Mike. Mike lives out on the on the East Coast, and I'm looking forward to spending some time at his farm here. But Mike bought some potassium sulfate, potassium thiosulfate that wasn't ours. And he called me and he said, this is making cottage cheese and making a big mess in my tank. What's the deal? And I said, is this ours? And he said, no, I got something close here. And I said, what's it look like? I said, is it kind of milky or creamy? He goes, yeah, it looks kind of like milk. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, because not all things are created equal. I mean, we know that. We believe that in medicine. I mean, nobody uses the same corn planter today as they did 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So we know there's technological advances, but somehow when we go to nutrients, we just want to go buy the cheapest junk we can. So guys, the moral of this story is when we make recommendations here, it's for our products. And we absolutely take zero responsibility for whatever gooey tank mess you create when you go buy Brand X cheap junk, okay? And so I'm going to ask you politely, let's use the good stuff. Let's get it right. And this potassium thiosulfate that we're talking about, this Sidekick product, is fantastic. And I want to encourage you to take a look at it and put it in those wide drops. If, if you don't want to do the research on a product, then try and find some people who have done significant research on it. And this has been researched, and we believe the sweet spot at on Sidekick, in with 28, is two gallon to the acre. That's where it makes you the most money. I believe on the Feast XL, the foliar product you were talking about, Kurt, what happens is... Sometimes if we foliar feed one gallon of something, it's like rubbing two sticks together. You can get it warm, but you can't get fire. And you put on a second one and you rub them together and you get smoke, but you never get fire, you never get ignition. And so in that instance, they had to get three gallon on to rub the sticks hard enough to get it to blaze. And we got to figure out what does it take to get out. Putting on a gallon probably didn't even pay for itself. No, I don't think it did. And so two gallon didn't either, three didn't. Now the question is, what at four and five, and so we have to work through those things. But on the Sidekick product, we've done a bunch of work like that, and we just want to, you know, encourage you guys that it's not too late. And Kurt, here's the thing about the, the potassium sulfate. We had a challenging year. We know we don't have roots like we want. We know we don't have anything like we want. Basically, I see standability as a problem in the fall, and a, and a K deficiency is going to hurt plant health, and it's going to hurt standability. And so to me, this looks like kind of like... What if it only paid for itself, but your corn didn't go down and the neighbors did? Yeah. Insurance. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, fundamentally, guys, you've got to be willing to try something on your own farm and see. I'm not saying you need to go do this on every acre. I, I mentioned briefly the potassium magnesium thing. If your K and mag levels are out of whack, this is not something I would encourage you to go do. <laughs> um, that, that you're just going to make the problem worse, right? But if the, if you are seeing visual K deficiencies, if, you're, if you've taken the tissue samples like Dad said and you've seen problems, this is definitely one of the things to, to look at or consider because what else are you going to do to get it into the plant, right? Um, these are about your only two options. Like I said kind of flippantly, those other things are going to make somebody money, but it's probably not you. Absolutely. So, yeah, Absolutely. I, I would definitely say use something that is uh, 
you know, the, where the plant can actually take it up and put it in a place where the plant can actually get to it. All right, I'm going to wrap this up in a second. Kurt, any closing thoughts you'd like to mention? You know, I'm happy to talk to anybody about any of the 360 products if they want to. Um, like I said, I, I took them the research before they were really even a company, so I, I believe very strongly in their products. I believe strongly in the Conklin products. Um, it's it's really about putting things together in such a way that that works. And to your point about the potassium sulfate or even potassium thiosulfate, guys. Remember that sometimes you may have to do things for a couple of years before you start to see a benefit. If you've been putting on a couple hundred pounds of you know, potassium chloride and, and so effectively salting your soil for the last 20 years, please don't do yourself or us the disservice of thinking you're going to fix that in one year. And if it doesn't turn it around in one year, that all of a sudden, hey, we tried that once and it didn't work. Um, that, that, just, that doesn't even make sense uh, from a scientific standpoint. So again, happy to answer whatever questions you have. Uh, again, my number is 641-919-5574. And of course, you can always get to me through these guys too. I want to thank Brad, a good friend of ours from Central Illinois. He was the uh, reason that we did this. He sent me a message and said, hey, could you and Kurt please talk about this? So this was for you, Brad. And uh, we do try to respond to the people. We do believe that everything that happens in ag is good for somebody. Our goal is to make sure it's good for you. Because the bottom line is, guys, it's a, it, the ag thing is tough, and we have to pay attention. And if we're not paying attention, we're going to end up in a world of hurt. Guys, I want to encourage you that if you'd like to take a chance and uh, take a look at what we can do here and make a difference, do something different, try something, hit us up. Message right here on the page. Uh, you can get us with a text at 641-919-1206 or give us a call. We'd love to talk to you. And I do want to encourage you this. Um, guys, Whatever you do, please contact us. Don't, don't Just don't go out on the internet and start searching around and see who you can come up with. I, I'm not going to share the story, but I have a really bad horror story that came <laughs> to me in the last two weeks of somebody who got creative and that didn't turn out very well for them. Hope you're having a better day. Thank you for joining us this week on the A Better Way to Farm podcast. If you found value in this episode, we would appreciate you rating us on iTunes or simply sharing with a friend. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe and tune in next time for serious secrets about profitable farming.